Lord on Sunday. All right, well, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, I pray that we would examine our own hearts tonight as we see the example of yet another evil king and who he runs to in times of trials. And Lord, may we learn, may we be, have our hearts pierced that, Lord, in the midst of trials, may we never run to the world and always run to you. May we always seek your will and your wisdom. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. So I will share this with you. For the last several weeks, people have been sharing this with me. We used to do this, and we're going to try to do this tonight, but if I run out of time, it won't happen. But what we do is at the end of the message, I'll, I'll give four or five minutes to ask questions about anything that was in the message. Okay, so if, if, you, if I'm teaching, you go, what does that mean? Or what about this? Or at the end of the message, you'll have an opportunity to raise your hand, and I'll try to answer any questions you might have. And uh, I tell you that ahead of time, because then you'll be thinking about it. Amen? All right. All right, so let's... Second Kings. So Kings, as we've been talking about, we saw that the beginning of First Kings, the death of King David. And then we saw Solomon become the king. And we saw that Solomon, because of his compromise, that God said that his descendants would no longer be kings over all of Israel. And it was at that point that Israel was divided into two nations. The 10, the ten tribes to the north was called Israel. And the two tribes to the south was called Judah. Now, Judah is where Jerusalem was. Judah and Benjamin were in the south. The other 10 nations were in the north. As we went through 1 Kings, we saw that every single king in Israel was wicked and evil. Every single one of them. Now, some of the tribes in Judah had walked with the Lord, but most of the tribes, I mean, literally all of them, all the kings in the north were evil. And their greatest evil was they allowed false gods and false idols to be worshipped. They had turned their back on the true and living God. They had set up altars to all the false gods. And most of the time, it came, especially with the last king we saw at the end of Kings chapter 1, or Kings 1, 1 Kings, was Ahab. Ahab had married Jezebel, and Jezebel had come down from Tyre, Tyre and Sidon, and she brought with her the, these prophets to Baal and Asheroth. And so they had set up all this worship to these false gods. They were putting the priests that follow the true and living God to death to the point where Elijah thought he was the only one left serving the true and living God. And we saw that God was continually being put to the test and God always showed up in a mighty and a powerful way. It was always an opportunity for men to repent and they didn't do it. And maybe you can relate to that in your own life. You go through trials and God, you know, brings you to the end of yourself. He gives you an opportunity to repent. And then you run back to that same old way of life. So if you have your outline, grab it. We're going to pick up in 2 Kings. The de Ahab, as we'll see, has died. We're going to see his son taking over as the king over Israel. So I tell him the message, keep looking up. And the reason I did is, you know, the Bible tells us in Colossians 3, 2, to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And we're going to see in this new king, he's going to be challenged right away. And every time you get a new king or a new president or, you know, a new governor, especially if the last one was evil, you kind of hope this one's going to be better. Can I get an amen to that? And there's the thing, Ahab was as wicked as they come. And now we're going to get a new king. And the hope would be from the children of Israel that maybe this king will be different. Maybe he'll be like Asa who 
in the, who was a king in Jordan, or, uh, Judah, excuse me, and went and knocked down all the idols and got worship back to the true and living God. But we'll see tonight, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. So here's five applications from tonight's text that we will see that are in the life of Elijah is going to be back on the scene tonight. And then we're also going to be introduced to this new king, uh, King Ahaziah. It says here, first thing we'll see is, where do you turn in times of trials and distress? Anybody gone through any difficulty in the last 12 months? Of any kind. And here's the reality. Every time we go through trials, again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And every time we go through difficulty, we can either run to the Lord or run to the world. We can either go out and get lit because we're upset. We can go out and shop. We can go out. There's things that we'll turn to to ease the difficulty of life, or we can run to the Lord. We're going to see that opportunity in tonight's text. Number two, praise God for divine appointments that bring divine wisdom and direction. As we're going to see tonight, these men are being sent out to find the answer to something. God brings Elijah into their path to speak truth into their lives. And what's amazing is this has happened in my life many times, hopefully in yours as well, where you're looking, you're seeking wisdom from the Lord. And God, first of all, the main thing he uses in my life is the word. That's how he speaks to me the most. But other times he'll bring a godly man or woman into my life who will speak into my life. Somebody who maybe you have lunch with him or dinner, you just talk to him on the phone and you get godly wisdom. We're going to see that happen in tonight's text. The godly wisdom will come through a divine appointment that will bring direction that the people of Israel need. Number three, who will you obey, God or man? We're going to see the king makes a declaration, and now Elijah, a man of God, has to choose to do what God has told him to do or do what the king has told him to do. Now, Romans 13 tells us to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. But we know there's an exception to that because we obey the government, or we obey the police, or we obey whoever's in authority, our boss, we obey those, our parents, we obey the people that have authority in our life until they tell us to disobey God, until they tell us to dishonor God, until they tell us to stop worshiping God. When that happens, we obey God rather than man. Amen? Number four, remain faithful to share God's word with others just as he gave it to us. Verses 13 through 16 really spoke to me as a pastor, and I love what Elijah does. We'll see it tonight, where he's given a message from God, and when he delivers it, he delivers it word for word. There's always a temptation when you're bringing the word of God to somebody, that especially if you're worried about somebody being offended, or maybe it's an important audience of some kind, and there's a temptation to water it down or to try to make it less uh, convicting. And that's never what God wants us to do. Amen. There's an exhortation that needs to happen where we recognize that the word of God doesn't need our help. Amen. We don't need to change it. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to soften it up. We need to preach the truth and do it in love. Amen. Number five, and proof of God's word is found in the truth of God's word. How do we know that this book is, is how, when people ask me that, what's the difference between your book and the book of the Quran? What's the difference between your book and the book of Mormon? What's the difference between your book and any other religious book? 
L. Ron Hubbard in Scientology or any other book. You know what the difference is? Every one of those books is proven to have things in it that are inaccurate, lies, and wrong. Can I get an amen? And this is the book that's been the most investigated and the most examined of any book in human history, and it's always proven to be true. Amen? And so, guys, we need to put our faith in the truth of God's word. And again, it proves itself because it's always true. So let's begin there in verse 1, looking at, keeping looking up. Where do you turn in times of trials and distress? And again, we've seen that the time of the kings has been a wicked and difficult time. For the most part, they've been turning and getting further and further away from God. Feels that way in our country sometimes, doesn't it? That we're getting further and further away from God. And in the middle of that, we need to be the salt and light. Ahab is dead. Look at verse 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now, Moab, the Moabites, were a group. They were descendants from Esau. And they were a group that were enemies of the children of Israel. And they were the ones that should have been dealt with when they came into the land of promise. When they came to the land of promise, God had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. He told them he was giving them the land of Canaan. It belonged to them. But you'll remember when they first got there, they sent 12 spies in and 10 came back and said, they'll crush us like grasshoppers. So they were faithless. Caleb and Joshua said, we'll get them. So then because they wouldn't enter in, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years to everybody above the age of 20 died. The only people, only men that entered into the land above the age of 20 when they went the first time were Joshua and Caleb because they were faithful. When they entered the land, they were supposed to wipe out the enemy. The land was filled with giants. The, the land was filled with pagan idolaters. And God had given them the ability to get victory. Well, what happened is they compromised. And they allowed some of those people to live. And so when we don't put our flesh to death, it will come back to haunt us. Amen? And that's exactly what's happening here. So here's what happens. The Moabites have been subject to Israel. Israel has been powerful. Israel has been all the way since the time of David. The Moabites have been subject to Israel. There was a short amount of time where they had broken away and then they, God, they, they you know, recaptured them and re got them to submit. So now that Ahab is gone and there's a new king, his son, the countries will try to see if they can test this new king. Is he going to be tough or is he going to be a wimp? Can we, can we get over on this guy? Uh, if anybody's paying attention to what's going on in the world today, this might sound familiar. Can I get an amen? We need to pray for Israel, by the way. I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel, and I'm not ashamed of that one bit. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be that. And the guys, Bible says, bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. And, we, and right now, in the middle of it, we've got people in our country that want to back away. Israel is probably our greatest ally on the planet. And we got people that want to pull away from that. And so the same thing is kind of happening here where the Moabites say, well, Ahab's dead and his son's in charge. Maybe this is a good time for us to attack. Maybe this is a good time to put him to the test to find out if this guy is really a strong king or if we can get over on him. So it was a spiritual disaster when Ahab was king, but they still had political clout and they were still pretty wealthy. So they had money and they had power, but they spiritually were a mess. And so now we're going to find out what's going to happen with this new king. 
Uh, we know that from archaeological digs, the fact records exactly what this says. I love when we go, you know, they, it's been said, every time you uncover a, a shovel of dirt in Israel, it proves the Bible to be true yet again. And there'll be nations they say they never heard of, and then we find it, and it's exactly where God said it would be. Well, the Moabite stone that speaks of their history speaks of this time when they came against uh, Ahab's son, we're going to see his name here in a moment, and tried to gain their freedom yet again. So when Moab went after the Syrians, uh, after the Syrians had defeated Israel, if you're here at the end of chapter of, of 1 Kings, what happened? The Syrians just beat Israel. You guys remember that? We just saw it last week. And now when, when they see that they're kind of in a weak spot, they're going to come after them. Now, you got to come back for 2 Kings 3 to find out what happens. Because this is just mentioning that Moab's coming after them, and Moab is going to try to attack them and see if they're weak and see if they can overthrow the children of Israel, verse 2. Now, Ahaziah, Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So this is the king. This is the son of Ahab. Now, no excuses. We can't blame our behavior on our parents, but certainly our parents' behavior can have an impact on us. Amen? Can you imagine having Ahab for a dad and Jezebel for a mom? What a train wreck that is. Can I get into that? A woman who broke her name. No one will ever use that name ever again. If you're called a Jezebel, it's like a curse word. I mean, it's like being a Hitler. Amen. She's a mess. So that's your mom. And your dad is Ahab. Your mom is killing all the prophets of Yahweh. And she's a wicked and vile woman. And King Ahab is a wimpy guy that lets his, his wife run the, run the country and doesn't stand up for the things of God. And this is their son. Now, again, we've seen in the Bible, we have ungodly parents and a godly person will come from it. But we're going to find out in tonight's text, not this guy, not this guy at all. You better get used to him real quick because he's only in this chapter. I'm giving it away. He didn't make it through the chapter. Okay. And the way of the transgressor is hard. It says there, so he falls through and was injured. Now, some have supposed maybe he was drunk or something, but what happened was he was up on the second story. And he leaned against the lattice work and he fell through it and landed on the ground two floors below. And he's on the ground, he's hurting. Now here he is in a time when he's hurting. And you find out most often where you are spiritually by who you run to when you're hurting. Now what, look what happens. Look what it says. So he went to the messengers and said to them, go inquire of Baal Zebub, the king of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. Baal-zebub, he is a, one of the Philistine gods. The Philistines, if you don't know, are enemies of Israel. Put it to you this way, who's the most famous Philistine in the Bible? Goliath. So this man is the king of the descendants of David, and he's sending messengers to the descendants of Goliath to find out if he can get counsel from Baal-zebub. Now, when we get to the New Testament, Baal-zebub is a name for Satan. So the reality is, as you're running to these false gods, Baal, Baal, you know, Baal, you're running to the world for answers. You're running to someone who's not the true and living God. You're running to something that doesn't even exist. By the way, sometimes we read about these gods. Let me, make, let me clue you in. None of them exist. 
But if there's anything behind him, it's demonic. Amen? So here's what's happening is he's the king of Israel. He falls out the window. He's laying there in pain, and he sends messengers to go find out if the God of the Philistines, the dead block of wood or the statue that they've got pinned up, can give him some, some words on how long it will take for him to get better. He's not even looking to be healed. By the way, a dead stone can't heal you. Can I get an amen? And so here we are, and he's reaching out to the world. He's the king of Israel. And you know what? The king of Israel should be an example of what godly men and women should aspire to. And instead, he's somebody, when he's in a time of difficulty, doesn't run to God, but runs to a pagan and a lost world looking for answers. So he gathers his messengers together. And again, Ekron was a place that was 40 miles away. These guys are going to have to jump on horses and travel a great distance to go inquire of this false god that doesn't exist to see if he can help the king of Israel who does not seek the Lord. You know, the key to a lasting success and faithful leadership is godly character. This is what we should look for in everybody who leads us in every walk of life. Amen? Godly character. We've gotten to the point now where godly character doesn't even seem to enter into the equation. It's just all about who's got the, the, the message, who's going to, which direction are they going to blow depending on what's going on in the world around us. And godly character, let me define godly character. You ready? You fear God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You have reverence for the word of God. Does our country have reverence for the word of God? Certainly the Christians do. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who've walked away from the word of God. A lot of churches in America today are religious country clubs. The word of God is not mentioned. There's no call to repentance and there's no love for the word of God. But not only the fearing God and the reverence for his word, but seeking godly counsel. It doesn't take long to find out what kind of king Ahaziah is going to be because as soon as the trial comes along, he runs to a pagan idol-worshiping nation to get their advice, to ask them, go pull out your Ouija board, go seek after the false gods of your land and get an answer for me so I can find out what's going to happen to me. So here we are as Christians. Where do you run when things get tough? One of the things I remember when I was in high school, I had a, a friend of mine who, uh, you know, kind of fringe Christians, right? CEO Christians, right? It's Christmas and Easter only, you know, CEO Christians. And his dad lost his job. And his dad was always a really happy guy, but kind of stoic. And I'd go to his house and I, was, I got to know his dad pretty well. And I come over to his house one day and his dad is so drunk, he's passing out and throwing up on himself. And, and I was like, whoa, that is so out of character for your dad. He goes, yeah, he lost his job today. So he went out and got drunk. And that's what a lot of people do. Something difficult happens, let's go get drunk. Something difficult happens, let's go to the mall and spend a bunch of money. You know, I mean, something difficult happens, they, they go turn to drugs or they turn to something else. They run to a prostitute, they go look at pornography, whatever. And they try to escape the reality of what's going on. Instead of turning to the Lord, they compound the problem by turning to the world. Amen? They feed the flesh instead of getting on our knees and crying out to the Lord. Guys, when you go through the trials of life, there's going to be a temptation to get mad at God, which is so foolish. 
Most of you know I spent a year, almost a year in the hospital in 2009 from a botched surgery that put me into a coma for quite a while. And then I was in the hospital that amount. And by the time I got out, it had wiped us out financially and all three of my boys had gone sideways. It was a mess. And I weighed 138 pounds. I weigh 245 right now. So take 107 pounds off of me and I was a walking corpse almost. And people would say to me all the time, when you were in the hospital and all that happened, you know, you're pastoring a church, God's blessing it, everything seems wonderful in life, and just like that, it all falls apart. Well, the reality is, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And no suffering is wasted, amen? And what God put on my heart the whole time was I never asked why, but the real questions are what and how. What do you want me to learn, and how are you going to use this for your glory, amen? And see, what happens is we run to the world, instead of God doing a work in us, we, we break fellowship with him. And we turn to the world for answers, and we know that in the end, it just makes things worse. My buddy's dad getting drunk didn't help anything. He ended up getting a DUI. It was a mess. So not only did he lose his job, but now he has a DUI, and now he's got a felony. It's a mess. Guys, if we run to the world, we will always regret it. May we run to the Lord. Often we'll even get angry, or we'll seek vengeance. We'll want to blame it on somebody else. We'll get mad at God. But if we run to the Lord, open up his word, get on your knees, seek godly counsel, trust the Lord to bring you through the trial that you're going through. Put your faith in him. So he's inquiring of these false gods 40 miles away. Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies. You thought that that was a movie, but it's actually what his name means. It's one of the many local male fertility gods, gods which bore some form of Baal, which means Lord. And so Ahaziah, Ahaziah, king of Israel, God's chosen people, seeks direction from this Philistine God. And again, it's true. I found this to be true that men tend, men and women tend to love or are attracted to gods that are most like themselves. Doesn't surprise me that he wants to run to this, you know, God of fertility. And, and again, we, we tend to make gods out of things that, you know, some people, money is your God. You have a great day, you should make a lot of money that day. Your walk with the Lord could be falling apart, but you made a lot of money, had a great day. If you've got a lot of money in the bank, if you're well-educated, you'll talk to people and ask them how their family's doing. And we've all done it. We've all heard it. And they'll describe one of their kids or, or their spouse. And they'll say, oh, you know, she just got a degree and she's doing great. And, and uh, yeah, she just got a great job on Wall Street. And she's making all this money. And they just bought their first home and she's getting married. And well, she's rejected God completely and thrown her Bible away and curses God every day. But other than that, she's doing great. And there's this mentality of success is based on how well we're doing in the world when how well we're doing in the world is meaningless when it comes to eternity. Amen? And so here's the exhortation is he's running to the world for answers. And any answer the world can give you will never draw you closer to the Lord. It will almost always draw you further away. The world has no answers. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't need to go to the world for answers. We need to go to the world and give them answers because we know who the answer is. So he turns to Satan in a sense. He seek, you know, Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you to come under his subjection. He wants to kill you. He wants you dead. He wants you to go out and get liquored up. He wants you to go out and do things that will destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy you. And he'll try to give you, well, if you go do that, you'll just feel better. I'm trying to escape, so I go, I go get loaded. I'm trying to escape, so I go shopping, whatever it is. I look at porn. Whatever that thing is, we try to escape. 
And guys, we shouldn't try to escape, but we should run to the Lord. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to you, might have life and life more abundant. Where do you turn in times of trial and distress? So he sends these messengers out, find out whether I will recover. Go, go see it. So they, if they get on horseback, it's 40 miles each way. I'm not a, a horseback rider for the most part, uh, but I can imagine it's probably going to be at least a day to go 40 miles, find out what's going, what, you know, counsel they give and ride 40 miles back. And so he sends them out. He's willing to wait a great amount of time to get an answer, but he's not willing to turn to the Lord. Now watch what happens. Look at verse three. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, arise, go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, it is because, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now, first of all, it says, but the angel of the Lord said, who is that? It's Jesus. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. Now, does Jesus care that the king of Israel is seeking direction from a pagan God? What's the answer? He does. He cares enough that he leaves heaven and comes and speaks to Elijah and tells Elijah to go intervene with the king of Israel. Now, even though this is going to come to the king of Israel as a rebuke, it's also really an act of mercy by God because it's going to give him an opportunity to repent. So they're on, the messengers are on their horses. They're headed on their way to go seek the pagan false god. I don't know how you get an answer from a statue unless you ask the prophets of Baal. And most of the other prophets of Baal are all dead because Elijah had already called fire down from the sky and God smoked them all. You guys remember that? So these are more prophets of Baal. They're seeking answers from a different Baal. They're going to find out. And God says to Elijah, I want you to go and intercept these guys along the way. And here's the question you need to ask them. Are you going to Ekron because there's no God in Israel? You know what's amazing? The God of Israel, it's using Elijah to ask them, are you leaving because there's no God in Israel? He's asking them a question that they should have an answer to. And the reality is, it's so tragic. And though people may reject God or want nothing to do with him, he's still God. He's still in control. The king of Israel did not seek the true and living God for wisdom. And instead, the, the Lord was not absent. As we see, the Lord was still watching. You know, even when you're not walking in intimate fellowship with God, he's still watching. Amen? He doesn't hide. He doesn't take vacations. He's sovereign. He's in control. And you know what? He desires for you to turn to him. But here's a running to the world. The Lord tells Elijah to go and intervene. Almighty God does not take idolatry and rejection of him as the God of Israel lightly. So the angel of the Lord says to Elijah, and again, Ahaziah had not sought the Lord or his prophet. We're going to find out in a few verses. He knows who Elijah is. He knows that he could send someone out to ask Elijah. He knows he could go find God, a godly answer. Here's what most, why most people don't want to go find a godly answer, because they already know what the godly answer is, and they don't like it. Amen? If you go to a godly person, so yeah, I'm shocking up with this girl. What do you think? Uh, no. <laughs> Amen? 
hey, I'm doing this, or I'm spending money on this, or I'm pursuing this. And, you know, I have friends, and not that I'm always the holy one in the equation, but I have friends I grew up with, they would just disappear. And I knew when they weren't around for a while, they're up to no good. Because if, you know, if somebody I know that I talk to five times a week for five years, and then I don't see them for six months, they don't want to have that conversation. Amen. And too often what will happen is we'll run to, we'll keep running till someone gives us the answer we want to hear. Well, he'll agree with it. He'll say that it's okay. Let's go ask that person. Let's go ask Baalzebub. Maybe he'll tell me. He can't tell you anything. He doesn't exist. Can I get an amen? But we'll run to the world. We'll run to the world for answers instead of running to the Lord because we know the answers that come from the word of God are not about feeding your flesh, but about drawing you closer to him. Amen? The Bible says in the last days, they'll be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. We're living in that time right now. Is it because there's no God in Israel? How quickly they forget who delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. How quickly they forget all the plagues that were brought upon Egypt. How quickly they forget the Passover, the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross. How quickly they forget the Red Sea parting. How quickly they forget how God provided for them 40 years in the wilderness and their clothes never wore out. How he dropped manna from the sky. How the pillar of fire and the pillar of the cloud led them by day and by night. So when they would wake up every morning, they would look to see where the pillar was going and they would follow it. How quickly they forget how God brought them into the land of Canaan and wiped out their enemies. How quickly they forget how God had given them victory after victory after victory. And now they forget he even exists. And this is exactly what the world wants to do. We take God out of our schools. Let's take prayer out of our schools. Let's take God out of the workplace. Let's take God out of the city square. We're shocked when someone talks about Jesus on TV. Can I get an amen to that? We're surprised. You know why? Because our nation is getting further and further away from the Lord, and we can't blame that on the ungodly. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, but we should be surprised when those of us who know God act like we don't know God. Amen? And we're called to be the salt and light. And when no one else will speak his name, we must not be ashamed of it. Ahaziah believed that Yahweh lived, no doubt. You know, he was around when his parents were trying to kill Elijah. He was around as a boy when Elijah called fire down from the sky and killed the prophets of Baal. He knows that God's real. He's seen that it's real. But even though he knows that God exists, he doesn't act like it. And I wrote this down. I've never heard this term before, but I thought of it this way. There are proclaiming atheists and practical atheists. And what I mean by that is a proclaiming atheist is someone says, I don't believe in God. I don't care. I don't believe it. I don't think it's real. Then there are people who say, well, I believe there's a God, but nothing in their life would show it. So they're really practicing atheists because they live their life as if there is no God, even though they might say that they believe there is a God. Well, I believe in God, but I don't pray. I believe there's a God, but I don't read my Bible. I believe there's a God, but I'm not in fellowship. I believe in God, but I don't, try, I don't obey his word. I believe there's a God. I disregard all of his commands. I believe there's a God, but no one would ever know it because no, no part of my life would show it. And to me, that's all, you're basically a, a practicing atheist because you can say, the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough to believe there is a God. Do you have a relationship with him? Does he have, are you married to Jesus? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? And here's Ahaziah who would no doubt say, well, there's a God, but he doesn't turn to God when it's time of a trial. 
He sends messengers off to go get answers from the false gods of this world. No reverence for his word, his commands, or his death on the cross, taking it lightly. So the state of belief is worthless if it's not reflected in our behavior. Ahaziah is the king of Israel, no doubt believed that Yahweh existed, but where he placed his faith was seen in his actions, and he's sending them, go find out from the prophets in Ekron. Go find out from Baalzebub, the statue they've got in Ekron, and see what they think about whether or not I will survive. Where do we turn for answers will impact those God has given us to disciple. My sister sent me a uh, song on the way here tonight. It put me in tears, and it's, it's talking about, she's talking to Jesus, and it's just about a mom who was always praying for her kids. And there was two months ago today that my mom went to heaven, and as family, we have a family child line, and we are just talking about how much we miss her and how much we appreciate her. But one of the many, many things I appreciate about both my parents is I saw them pray daily. I saw them in the Word daily. I saw how they loved each other daily. I had a front row seat to the most godly man and godly woman I've ever met in my life, and I got to watch their life and how they lived it. They didn't just say that they believed in God. They lived like it every moment of every single day. They were the most generous people I've ever met. We always had people living in our house not related to us. My parents never locked the door to their home because they said it's God's house, and if people come in and take it, they can have God's stuff. God will take care of us. And I just love that example. And you know what? Here's the reality. All of us are an example to our kids and our grandkids or the kids you may have someday or the people that watch your example in the workplace. What kind of example are we leaving, you know, showing? When they see us in the midst of trials, by the way, if they know you're a Christian and you're going through difficulty, they're watching to see how you respond. They're watching to see if your faith is lost because the guy you wanted to win the presidency didn't win. I want to clue you in. God's still on the throne and that's never going to change. Amen. We keep our eyes on, hey, look, vote, all of that. We should do that. But we don't put our, our trust in chariots or in horses. We put our faith in the Lord, our God. Amen? So we turn for, where we turn for answers will impact not only us and our walk, but those we disciple. Going in the wrong direction, God is concerned about where we go for answers. It says in Deuteronomy 18, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, that's sacrifice to false gods, or who practices witchcraft or soothsaying, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed you as such. Guys, there are things that we need to be... Look, as Christians, there are things we should not even dabble with as a joke. Astrology is from the pit of hell. Amen? I've had 20 people from our church go, when were you born? Well, that makes you a... You're this sign. You know what my sign is? The cross. Can I get an amen to that? Because even if it seems light and seems gentle and seems like no big deal, it's, it's sorcery. Can I get an amen to that? First of all, it's just nonsense. Oh, well, you're born on that day, so today at 3 o'clock you're going to meet a redhead. At the, you know, stop it. 
The stars are in such a place that this is going to happen. It's nonsense. Guys, we don't run to nonsense. We run to the Lord. Amen? And we don't dabble with it. Witchcraft, tarot cards. I had a sales meeting. This was 1995. I still remember it. And the sales meeting was, they, they had us at this big theater, and they, they, we watched some big play, and at the end of it, they had a bunch of booths and stuff, and they wanted everybody to go over and get a tarot reading. And I said, there's no stinking way I'm doing that. And they're like, it's just for fun. Uh, no, it's not. It's from the devil. Can I get an amen to that? I'm like, it's from the devil. No, absolutely not. I said, She's either a fake or she's demonic. And when being fake is the better of the two, that's not good. Can I get an amen? And the reality is that it seems radical when you make a stand for things like that. But we don't want to just be like the world and go with the flow. Any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? And we don't need to just do what the world does. We need to make a stand for the things of God. And our kids are Ouija boards. And I had some people, not a lot of Christians going, yeah, I used to play Ouija boards when I was a kid. Maybe we should get one of those. No. No. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Amen. Read your Bible. It's an abomination to the Lord. It breaks his heart. It can start out as a harmless diversion, but intrigues you and sucks you in. And there seems to be something real. And there is. There's an open door to the demonic. When people say, gee, I wonder what your horoscope says today, say no. It says in Isaiah. And when you say, when, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? A Christian has no place in seeking the occult for anything. Amen? The point I'm making here is, I'd see him off the text, but he's running to a pagan, to pagan idolatry. I had a Christian not long ago whose mom had died, not my family, but someone whose mom had died, and they came and said, yeah, I called this lady because she said she can speak to the dead. No! Well, she told me, I don't care what she told you. No. And by the way, if your grandparents died, they're not the dove on your roof watching over you. That's not the reality. Amen? Hate to burst your bubble, but people do this thing where like, oh, my grandmother, she's the rainbow. No, she's not. She's either in heaven with the Lord or she's in hell separated from God. And guys, the reality is we try to mystify things and we put them into this occult kind of situation where we believe that, yeah, my dead grandmother, she watches over me when I'm driving. No, she doesn't. She's in heaven not thinking about you one bit. Can I get an amen? Because heaven's better. Amen? But we lose sight and we start to follow after. And you know, you turn on TV in the middle of the day. When I had that surgery, I had to sit there for two and a half weeks. Daytime TV is a disaster. You know, doctor this and doctor that. They don't, they don't know anything. They need Jesus. Can I get an amen? So they run to the world for answers. They run to seek. He wants to see what Beelzebub has to say. Go find out what their prophets say. Am I going to recover? Now watch what happens in verse 4. So he tells Elijah, go, and, uh, go tell him. Ask him, is it because there's no God in Israel? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but sure, you shall surely die. So, so Elijah departed. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to go find the messengers and stop them. Then he's going to say, here's what you need to go tell your king. Are you doing this because there's no king in Israel? And oh, by the way, the answer you're looking for, you're not ever going to get up out of bed. You're going to die. Go tell him that. Now, that's a hard message to receive. Elijah has already dealt with Ahab and Jezebel. 
But because Elijah is a man of God who doesn't fear death, Elijah is going to obey the Lord. So point number one there, where do you turn to in times of trials and distress? Do you turn to something that feeds your flesh? Do you run to, the, to a worldly answer? Do you get on your knees and cry out to the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the only one that has the answer, amen? And he'll bring you peace in the midst of what you're going through. He lets him know that his death is coming. And actually, this is the mercy of God because no one else has the answer. He's going to get the answer, not the answer he's looking for. But in getting the answer, he's given an opportunity to repent. You're going to die. Time to get right with God, amen? I have led a lot of people to the Lord on their deathbed. Now, can I encourage you, don't wait for that because you may not have one, amen? We may not be here tomorrow, but the reality is many times it's the grace of God that gives those opportunities for people to give their life to the Lord late in life. Amen. I've had people say, well, that's not fair that they got saved so late. All I got to say about that is praise God. They got saved. Amen. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. So the prophetic announcement might also explain why Hosea did not want to seek the answer from the Lord. He knew the answer what it would be. So he's going, well, maybe Beelzebub's got a better answer for me. Because I already know that if I cry out to the prophets, what they're going to tell me, and I really don't want to hear it. Point number two, praise God for divine appointments that bring divine wisdom and direction. Look at verse five. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? See, what happens is they go, it's supposed to be all day, 40 miles each way. And they come back in a short amount of time, an hour or two. And they're back so quickly and the king's like, wait a minute, you couldn't have possibly gone to all the way to Ekron, found out what, what Baal, Zabob's prophets had to say, and brought it back to me. Why are you back so soon? You know, the reality is the answer was always much closer to him than he thought. Too often we think the answer that we're looking for is down some path that's going to take years to get there. You know, our God is near us. Amen. Well, since the word of God is near you, it's in your mouth, right? If we will confess it. Guys, our God is never far away. He's not a far away, distant God. We don't have to crawl on our knees through glass to Mecca to get answers from the Lord. We can get on our knees and cry out to him and he will hear our prayers. And watch what happens. Why are you back so soon? So they said, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the king, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed from which you have gone, but you shall surely die. Is that the answer he wanted? Absolutely not. And it was a man of the Lord who came and told it to him. Now watch what he says. Then he said to them, what kind of man was it that came up to meet with you and told you these words? Who told you this? Guys, when we don't like the answer, often we'll attack the messenger who delivered the message. Amen? I'm okay with that if, if, if we share a message of, that's hard for people to grasp and they don't like it. If it's because of our personality, God forbid. If it's because we're self-righteous, God forbid. But if they're, hard, if, they're, if they're convicted because of the word of God, praise God. Because conviction is the only way to conversion. Amen? If you've not been convicted, you'll never see your need for a savior. So he told him that he came up to meet him, that he was going to surely die, and he wants to know who told him these words. Look what it says there, verse 8. So they answered and said, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist 
And he said, oh, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Hate that guy. <laughs> you remember Ahab last time? You know, Don't ask that guy. He always gives me bad news. Why? Because he tells you the truth that your flesh doesn't want to hear. He's, you know, and again, that's the reason why some people don't want to go to their godly friends for counsel because they already know what the answer is going to be and that's not the answer they're looking for. And so he's upset. Now it's interesting. Harry there, when you look at the word in the original language, it means a man covered in hair, but it also could be that he's wearing, you know, hairy garments. And there's a real connection. If you read the New Testament about John the Baptist, it says he comes in the spirit of Elijah. And some people have made the mistake to think that John the Baptist is Elijah reincarnated. No. But he has the same, that they're, they're very much the same guy. They're extremely bold, extremely sold out. Men who care nothing for the things of this world. Jesus said about men are born women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. And so as soon as they describe him, he knows this is Elijah, and he knows this is not the man who he wants to hear from. It says in Luke 1, 17, speaking of the forerunner of Christ, which is John the Baptist, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah, we've seen that he's far from a perfect man. We've seen that he's made mistakes. Remember, do you remember when he crawled under the tree and said he just wanted to die? You guys were here if you were here a few chapters ago. So Elijah's not a perfect man, but you know what? He is a faithful man of God most of the time. He is a faithful man of God who makes a stand for things. So how will Ahaziah respond to the message from Yahweh through Elijah? I'm going to die. Does he repent? Does he seek more from the prophet? Go get that prophet and bring him here and ask him, what can I do to get right with God? Does he do that? No. Or will he follow in the footsteps of his parents and seek to silence the messenger? Well, we'll find out. Point number three there. So point number two, praise God for divine appointments that bring divine wisdom. It may not be the answer you want to hear, but it's the answer you need to hear. And praise God we have people that love us enough to stab us in the front. Amen. Christians don't stab each other in the back. We stab each other in the front. Here's the truth. Here's the answer. Here's what you need to hear. I love you, but what you're doing is sinful, and we need to, we need to get right with God here. Amen? And if people know that you love them, they're willing to receive it. And I hope people love me enough to tell me the same when I need to hear it. Amen? Who will you obey, God or man? Now watch this. It's going to get gnarly. Ready? The king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him. And there he was sitting on the top of a hill. So they go out and find Elijah. And he spoke to him, man of God. The king has said, come down. So he's telling him, come to the king. Come down. You need to come down here. Now we know that this command is because he wants to silence him. He knows that Elijah is a formidable man. He knew his parents, Ahab and Jezebel's attempts to capture him went without success. And this should have been plenty of men to catch one, you know, hairy prophet. A hairy prophet wearing a leather belt. And they send out 50 guys after him. But as we talk about often, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you and God is a majority. Amen? Now watch what happens. Come down! So Elijah said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Notice he's not arrogant. He didn't say, I'm a man of God. I'll show you. Well, let's find out if I'm a man of God. I'll pray. And if I'm a man of God, then the fire's going to come down from heaven 
and light all you dudes up. Pastor Day, paraphrase. <laughs> Watch what happens. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So I got that the hairy prophet with a single prayer wipes out 50 soldiers of the army of Israel. Now, that, isn't that sad? This is God's army of God's people who should be worshiping God, who are seeking to kill God's prophet because he dared to tell God's king that he needed to repent. It's tragic. And yet we see the power of God, that God doesn't take it lightly when those he's placed in positions of authority have turned their back on him. He's not faithful and obedient to God. Now notice, the governor called for him and he didn't go. Well, Romans 13, he should have went uh, until they tell you to disobey God. Amen? And this time, he, he said, I'm not going. If the government commands us to do something sinful, contrary to the word of God, and, and the sad part is, you know, he's asked them, is there no God in Israel? I would say this, is there, is there no God in the United States? There is, because there's a remnant. But it's tragic, we want God to bless America, but we curse his name. We want God to bless America, but we kill millions of innocent babies and we call it choice. We want God to, to bless America, but we refer to perversion as an alternative lifestyle. We want God to bless America, but we refer to adultery as an affair. We want God to bless America, we, we refer to por, uh, uh, fornication as sowing wild oats. We want God to bless America. We refer to pornography as a sexual addiction. We want God to bless America. We, re we refer to selfishness as self-esteem. We, re we refer to arrogance as confidence, lying as stretching the truth, drunkenness as social drinking, drug addiction as medicating, the love of money we, we call growing a portfolio, ungodly anger as passion, prejudice and racial, racism as racial pride, the refusal to submit to God and give him authority as standing up for my rights, disobeying parents as growing up, rejecting the truth of God's word as living my truth, the self-proclaimed Christians placing nationalism, political affiliation, and race above God. We want God to bless America. It's time for America to bless God. Time for us to surrender to the Lord and seek first his kingdom and his glory and not make excuses for the ungodly behavior that takes place all around us. Esteeming ourselves better than others. Judging others based on outward appearance instead of inward character. There are so many people that are religious and lost and spiritually dead, living for self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man of God, come down here. Obey man rather than God. And then watch what happens, verse 11. Then he sent him another captain of 50 men, with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. He gets even more aggressive. I don't think he was paying attention to what happened last time. He's even more aggressive. Not come down, come down now. He's making demands of the man of God. And as he does, look what happens. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Uh, you know, isn't it sad that we don't learn from our mistakes? Isn't it sad that we will repeat? You know, insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I don't care how many, how many 50, captains of 50 men and his 50 men you send out to Elijah. If God is for him, you're in trouble. Amen? Isn't it good to know that God is for us? He's for us, and he's a faithful God. 
So point number two, who will you obey, God or man? Notice here that he makes a stand not to obey man until God tells him to. Now, final, final two points. Remain faithful to share God's words with others, even with others, just as he gave it to us. Don't change the message out of fear. Now watch at verse 13. Again, a third captain of 50 went out with his 50 men. How would you like to be that guy? How would you like to be the guy the king calls in and says, look, we tried the two other groups. It's your turn. Can you imagine as you're approaching Elijah and you see the piles of ashes where there used to be armies, where all these guys are dead, their shields are all melted, you know, there's piles of dead people. Now watch the difference in the way this man approaches. Look what happens. It says there, and the third captain went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to a man of God, Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains and 50s with their 50s, but left my life now be precious in your sight. He doesn't come down making demands of Elijah. He comes down crying out to Elijah to show him mercy by the grace of God. Guys, if we come making demands of God, it's not going to turn out well. But if we come in humility and brokenness, how does Jesus respond to people in the Bible? The people that are arrogant and self-righteous, he comes after them. You brood of vipers, you whited sepulchers. But the woman caught in adultery and people that are, are humble and broken, you know, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. See, when the people come broken before God, he shows them mercy. When they come arrogant before God, he shows them righteous judgment. We've seen two arrogant captains. They were set on fire on the spot. We see a a man come seeking mercy, and God shows him mercy. Guys, that's the way we should always approach the Lord. Amen? So he he comes and he cries out, and and how is he going to respond? How is... How is Elijah going to respond to this, this man seeking you know, a, peaceful, a peaceful end to this confrontation? It hasn't turned out well the last two times. He's hoping that it's going to be different. Then he says there, And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Who's that? Jesus says to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. So it wasn't that he was fearful of going to the king. Because we, sh- we have, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. He was only going to go when God told him to go. He was not going to be moved by his circumstances. He was going to be moved by the Holy Spirit. And that is something we all should learn. Amen? Don't allow the overwhelmingness of your circumstances to cause you to move. We should wait upon the Lord and seek his face and wait till the Lord, the Lord tells him to move, So he moves. It says in Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord accounts around all those who fear him and delivers them. I get the idea. Again, Elijah had been clued in by Jesus, had to handle each group of soldiers, and the humble man gets the okay from the Lord. So having pleaded, he cries out, and he's going to respond, and he's going to go and speak with the king. Let's finish up. Now notice what he says. Verse 16, then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, it is to be, is that because, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Have we seen those, that exact quote somewhere? 
That's exactly what he told him to say to the messengers. When, the, when he spoke to the messengers, that was the message delivered. And now this is the message that God has delivered to him to speak directly to the king. And he doesn't change it. He doesn't turn it into a topical study. He doesn't make it seven steps to financial freedom. Can I get an amen? He gets up, he takes the word of God, and he delivers it just the way the word of God was given to him. And that's exactly what we need to be doing, is not giving people our opinions, but giving people the word of God. Amen? And I admire this. It's an exhortation for every pastor, but it's an exhortation for every believer. I love his faithful obedience to deliver God's word just as it was given. He didn't change the message out of fear of the audience. And there's always a temptation to soften the message for an important audience or to somebody that might be offended. A few years back, a, a gal in my office, her mom died. And we weren't super close, but we knew each other. And somebody else in the office said, well, she didn't have anybody to do the funeral. I said, well, ask Pastor Dave. He, he's a pastor. He can do it. So the funeral, what a God thing. I go meet with her. I find out that her mom's a Christian. I, I go through her mom's stuff. I put together the whole funeral. Well, guess what? About 300 people from my office showed up. The vice president of the company came from Orange County. All these people are in one room. I'm like, I've been trying to witness these guys for years. God just put them all in one room at the same time. And you know what? And they can't get up and leave. Can I get an amen to that? Where are you going? And the reality is there's, you know, a part of you that says, well, you know, I have to work with these people. Maybe I should dial down the message a little bit. You know, some of these people don't know the Lord and, and the gal, maybe she doesn't even know the Lord. And that's a heavy message to talk about. Guys, when God brings divine appointments, may we never waste it dialing down the truth because we're afraid of what people are going to think. We need to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Amen. I also spoke at a pastor's conference one year, and I, I'll never forget it. I'm speaking at this conference. I look in the front row. There's Chuck Smith. There's Greg Laurie. There's Raul Reese. There's Damien Kyle. All the guys whose commentaries I read, all these guys are the men that I seek godly counsel from, and I'm teaching a Bible study in front of these guys. And the reality is God gave me total peace because I always teach in front of the Lord, and he's the only one that matters. Can I get an amen to that? See, here's the exhortation is he could have changed the message because, you know, hey, this is Ahab and Jezebel's kid. And Jezebel's tried to kill me, and Ahab's tried to kill me, and maybe I should come in with a little bit of a softer answer, and maybe he won't want to kill me. Guys, here's the reality. You're indestructible till God's through with you. Nobody can lay a hand on you unless God allows it. Amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? So notice he says there, you're going to surely die. Dude, you're going to die. I'm not dialing down the message for you, bro. It's an opportunity for you to get right with God. It's an opportunity for you to surrender your life to him. Now watch what happens. Final point, the proof of God's word is found in the truth of God's word. So has Ahaziah got better after the prophets of Baal? No. Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So Jehoram is the name of the king in Israel, I mean in, in Judah. This is kind of confusing. And the new king in, in uh, Israel, the king in Judah is Jehoram, and the king in Israel is Jehoram, but they're different men with different lineages from different families. And so the king down here has got that name, and now the new king... Ahaziah, he didn't last long as king, did he? 
Evil kings don't always last very long. Now, the rest of the Acts of Ahaziah, what he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? God said this was going to happen, and exactly what God said happened exactly as God said it would happen. And throughout Scripture, we can see that over and over, and over 260 prophecies of the coming Messiah, Jesus fulfilled them all. All the prophecies we see in Scripture that have taken place. Israel becoming a nation again. That's kind of a big deal. Amen? If you read through Matthew, we can talk about it later, but we see the re, you know, the, it blooms yet again. It's the only nation in the history of the world that ceased to be a nation, and God was able to bring all the people back from for other nations back to their land and reestablish their nation again because God's not done with Israel. Amen? And the promises that God has for the future, that Jesus Christ is coming back, that when we close our eyes on earth, we can open them up, we're going to open them up in glory. Every promise in the past has been fulfilled, and we can trust that every promise in the future will be fulfilled as well. Amen? We serve a great and an awesome God. So guys, in the midst of trials and difficulty, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking up. When you're going through a tough time, you might want to run to the world for answers. You might want to find out what your unsafe friend down the street thinks. You know, you might want to find out what Dr. Phil thinks. Don't waste your time. You might want to find out what, you know, the 1-900-psychic thinks. They just want to take your money. You might want to turn to the world for answers. Can I encourage you? Don't turn to the world, turn to the Lord. He loves you, knows what's best for you. So where do you turn in times of trial and distress? Praise God for divine appointments that bring divine wisdom and direction. I can't tell you many times where it's happened both sides, where I read a devotion in the morning and then I meet somebody that has a, a question that the devotion I just read has the answer. And where I'm going through something and somebody, somebody else has the right word right on time. Can God do that? What's the answer? But that's why we need to be in fellowship, Amen. When we isolate ourselves, we miss out on all the ministry that can take place, both us ministering to others and others ministering to us. Who will you obey, God or man? There's a God, we need to obey God. There's going to be times when man tries to tell us we have to do something. And again, if it doesn't contradict the word of God and they're in authority over us, we should do it. If my boss wants me to show up early for work, I do it. If he wants me to speak at a thing, I do it. I honor my boss by, and I honor the Lord by honoring my boss. Thankfully, my boss has never told me to dishonor God. Although I think I told you guys about nine months ago, they assigned the largest abortion clinic in California to be one of my accounts to help them to sell them advertising. Uh, yet no, and my, I had a new boss at the time. He's like, you have to do it. I said, yeah, I, I don't have to do anything. I'm not doing it because they're killing babies and I'm not doing that. And it finally got to the president of the company and he called, he goes, Dave, you're not, I'm not going to make you do that. Are you kidding me? Guys, but we have to make us. And by the way, that happened in the, in the nineties. They gave me an abortion account. They told me I had to keep it. So I canceled all their advertising. I removed them from everything. The white pages. If you called up 411, they didn't exist. I removed them from everything. They were spending $400,000 a year and they were gone. And my boss came out and said, what happened? I said, well, you told me I had to handle it. So I handled it the only way I could. Took them out. Can I get an amen? And, and I didn't lose my job. God took care of it. Amen. But guys, there's an opportunity when we go through, we can either obey God or we can obey man. And, and we want to obey the bosses and the teachers and the police officer that pulls you over and, you know, the people that have authority in our life, unless they tell us to disobey God. Remain faithful to share God's word with others just as he gave it to you. Don't apologize for the Bible. Amen? Well, I know this is going to bug you and this is kind of a harsh word, but don't do that. Don't apologize for it. 
be, be loving, be kind, be gracious, but bring it with boldness. Amen? And then finally, the proof of God's word is found in the truth of God's word. So, I finished a little early. That doesn't happen, does it? So, any questions or comments about tonight's text? Yes. It is. It is. So king of Samaria, Samaria was the capital of, of the north, and Jerusalem was the capital of the south. So Samaria was where the king lived, and, that's where, and that was his hometown. That's where they worshipped, the, well, if they did, the true and living God. So Samaria was the capital in the north. But he wasn't going to Samaria, he was going to Ekron, which is out of Samaria, which is part of the Philistine territory to seek their, their God for an answer. Yeah. Anybody else? Any questions that maybe aren't even in the text? We got a few minutes. Anything that's bugging you right now? Any questions about anything in the Word of God right now? Yes. You're, you're already a teacher's pet. I love it. Uh, I, so you had said, all right. I'll Do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So my question is, and I don't remember where it is. It's in the Old Testament somewhere. I think Jeremiah, where God says, "I will not regather you until you are repentant." And so that always confuses me. I'd have to see that text in context. Okay. I have to see it. Show you know, look that up, and let's look for it in context. Because throughout Scripture, it talks about God gathering, get, gathering them together again. And there's a fig tree in the Bible. Whenever you see the fig tree in the Bible, it represents Israel. And the fig tree dies. And then it blooms yet again. And, it, and it, now there's a, here's, a, here's a verse for you. And some people will interpret it different ways. It says, once you see the blooming again of the fig tree, this generation will not pass away till the coming of the Son of Man. So when did the fig tree bloom again in Israel? 1948 or 1967, depending on how you define it. They were gathered together in 48. They became an independent nation in 1967. And some believe that the Bible says that people that are alive to see that will be alive to see Jesus come back. Well, 1967 was four, what, was that 54 years ago? So again, some people don't believe that's the correlation, but some do. I mean, it says they'll see the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, I do believe we're in rapture season, but the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the season. Amen. All right, we're living in a time. Look at what's going on in Israel. Israel's the size of New Jersey. The seven countries closest to them all want them dead. They're all attacking them, and Israel's catching heat for fighting back. By the way, I pray daily for Netanyahu to get saved because I love that guy. Can I get an amen to that? I love that he stands up for Israel. Our, our, our president says, oh, you better stop it. He's like, dude, we're going to do what we have to do to protect our people. Get over it. Can I get an amen to that? Do you, can he just be, can we trade? <laughs> can we get him? Send that brother over here. <laughs> I know he needs Jesus, but he, he's a Jew and God loves him. We're not done with him yet. Any other questions or thoughts? We're going to start doing this every week, okay? Lord willing. If I run out of time, I run out of time, okay? But uh, I want you, to, as we're going through the text, maybe if you're reading it ahead, you might have a question and we teach it. It, does, it doesn't get answered. This is a great opportunity for us to, 
just ask questions that we might have. And I'm not saying I'm always going to have the answer, like the thing from Jeremiah. I'm going to need to go back and look at that. I've read through Jeremiah, obviously, 50 times, but I want to go look at the verse and look at it in its context. Take a text out of context, how you left the con. You want to make sure you know what it says. Amen. Whenever you have a question in the Bible, here's what I usually tell people. Keep reading. What does verse 9 mean? Read verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12. A lot of times that'll tell you the answer. Amen. It's amazing how often that's the case. Anything else? Yes. I want to thank you because um, you answered a lot of questions for me by, the, by your study. Praise the Lord. The Bible does that, doesn't it? Yeah. Can't tell how many times people say, I need to talk to you after church about something. And then church is over and they're like, the Bible answered my question. We don't need to talk. <laughs> I love when that happens. Jay God. Amen. Can I just admit something? Sure. Uh, dude, I'm a sinner. Me too. I know. Me too. Mm. Praise the Lord. God's always right on time, bro. Well, let me ask you a question. You're saying it's in front of everybody, so I'll talk to you in front of everybody. Is that okay? If you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, have you surrendered your life to him? Okay, have you asked him to forgive you? Have you asked him to come and rule and reign in your life? Okay, so here's the good news. God is faithful to his promises. Let me ask you a question. When you do something wrong, do you feel convicted? Okay, you know why that happens? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. See, he's a down payment on heaven. And so when you are grieved by your sin, here's the reality. Here's why I would absolutely, look, only God knows ultimately. But brother, I would tell you that you're born again, you're going to heaven. Here's why. Because the fact that you are concerned about your own life, that you're grieved by the choices that you're making, that tells me that the Holy Spirit lives inside you because the world loves sin, enjoys it, and celebrates it. And we give our life to Jesus Christ. We can no longer enjoy it. It breaks our heart and it grieves us. You've admitted it breaks your heart. I want to encourage you. You're born again. You're going to heaven. The Lord loves you. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. Continue to come. Continue to study the word of God. Seek counsel from godly people. We love you. We're glad you're here. We just adopt you into our family too. Amen. Love you, bro. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being transparent. Anything else? I to... Go ahead. Go ahead, Valerie. I it was a God thing. My boss did, was not happy because he came and told me this is, I was first, new with the company. It was like 1989. I was 26 years old and it was like $400,000 worth of advertising. Company doesn't like you when you cancel that. But they came and told me that I had to handle it. And I said, well, if I do, I'm taking it all out. And he goes, do what you got to do. I said, okay. And by the grace of God, I took that money out. It totally took God's glory. And I was still the number one rep in the entire company that year. Even after taking out $400,000 worth of abortion clinic money, which means lives were saved and God was glorified. I also met with a young girl. I didn't know what kind of business she had. I just had the name of the business. And I met this young girl and she owned a, she was basically a prostitute. She owned a uh, escort service. And I sit down across from her at this Denny's, talk to her, and she's telling me what she does. I'm like, yeah, I'm not helping. No, we're canceling your ads. What's your, what, does your dad know what you're doing? Do you have his phone number? Let's go call your dad and get you a bus ticket home. I mean, this is ridiculous. Can I get an amen? And the reality is, wherever we are in life, we want to look for divine appointments.
We want to look for opportunities to make a stand for the things of God and be willing to lose your job if you need to. That's okay, right? The only thing we're taking to heaven with is people. Danilo, you want to ask something? Yeah, right yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. 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 I, you know, I'll be honest with you. So that's a great question because uh, I listen to different people have different perspectives on that. You know, Gog, Magog is a, a translation from Moscow. I don't know if you knew that. And it talks about Gog and Magog and other nations coming down, being gra- a hook in their jaw, coming down and attacking Israel. And then it talks about how that's, that these nations surrounding Israel will attack them. Well, boy, we're seeing that, aren't we? Is Russia pro-Israel? Is China pro-Israel? Is Turkey pro-Israel? Is Jordan pro I mean, they don't have any friends. You know who their, their friends are? Us. When I go to Israel, when I would go to Israel, we'd be walking through town with people, and people would come out of shops and go, are you American evangelical Christians? You're the only friends we have. They would hug us, kiss us on the face, and tell us thank you. Because they don't have any friends. Now, I'm not sure. I know that some people believe that will take place before the rapture of the church and others who believe it'll take place after the rapture of the church, right? Because in the end of the, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, we come back with the Lord when Israel is being attacked, right? And they're going to turn from Israel and try to attack us coming back with the Lord and the Lord's going to wipe them all out. So I tend to believe, and I'm not saying that I have a real strong stand on this, I tend to believe that while we'll see that season coming, I don't believe we see it happen until we're gone. Does that make sense? That's just my perspective. Okay, other people that are more studied than that might have a different perspective. Go ahead. But you see that prior to the tribulation? Do I see that? I, it's probably, yes. Yeah, well, I, I think the ultimate fulfillment's at the end of the tribulation, but it's going to begin before that, Right. Because they're going to be, it's already happening now. It's been happening since Israel became a nation again in 67. How many, how many days of peace have they had? Right? And certainly we see that all these nations are coming against them. You know, did, by the way, I think we gave money to Iran and they used money to buy missiles from Russia that they gave to the Palestinians to fire at Israel. We need to stop doing that. Can I get an amen? Because we're fighting against Israel indirectly. Lord, help us. Now, the good news is, However this takes place, God is on the throne, God is in control, and God wins. Amen? But what's important about knowing end times prophecy is it should give us a sense of urgency. Amen? It should give us a sense of urgency that how much time do we have left before we get snatched away? And, you know, we have different perspectives. You have premillennial, you know, you have pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib, which is no millennial, I mean, which is no uh, tribulation, that we, we survive through it, we live through it. I don't believe that. Some of you disagree with me. That's okay. It's a secondary issue. I believe, here's why I believe we're pre-trib and pre-millennial. We'll close with this. If you read book, book of Revelation, you have the, the message to the seven churches. At the beginning of chapter four, John is called up. It's where we get the word harpazo or a rapturo for rapture. And, you know, from chapter four to the, till, till Jesus comes back, we don't see the church mentioned any more times. Now, some people will disagree with that. And they'll say, your teaching is creating people who are not going to be ready for the tribulation when it comes. Let me just encourage you. If, if you're walking with the Lord, you'll be ready for anything that comes. Can I get an amen to that? 
But I also believe that if it's mid-trib, then Jesus can't come back today. Then we can't be raptured. So instead of looking for the Lord, we're looking for the Antichrist. And remember in the, in the, in the Gospels, he said, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. So they were looking for Jesus. They were never looking for the Antichrist. And if, if it's not pre-trib, pre-millennial, now millennial, there's a, we are, here, here's a cool thing. We're going to come back after we go to heaven and we're going to come back with the Lord riding on a white horse and we're going to go into that battle and we're going to take the side of Israel and we're going to wipe out all the enemies and then we're going to rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years upon the earth, seeing what the world would be like with God on the throne. Who's looking forward to that? Can I get an amen to that? And they won't be able to vote him out of office. And premillennial means that we're coming back at the beginning and we're going to spend a thousand years with him on the earth. There are those who believe that the millennial was fulfilled in AD 70 when, it, when Jerusalem was wiped out and they believe, you know, they'll go back and look at people as types or pictures of the Antichrist. I don't believe that. But here's the point. Live every day in, in love with the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Study his word. And, and ultimately... I'm pan-millennial and pan-trib because it's all going to pan out. Can I get an amen? I have serious belief, and I do believe it changes the way you teach Scripture. So, yeah, Calvary Chapels as a whole, we're pre-millennial, pre-tribulational, which means we believe that the church will be snatched away. God has not appointed us unto wrath. He's going to take his kids out before he brings righteous judgment upon the earth. But even if that didn't happen, it's not going to shake my faith because that's not an essential. Can I get an amen to that? Does that make sense? Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for our time together. I thank you for my brother, Lord, who's being transparent. I thank you that, Lord, you convict him. It's a down payment on heaven, that he knows you, that he's born again. And Lord, that while he's a sinner, just like all the rest of us here tonight, we thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. Lord, you are worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. Let's, let's stand up and worship the Lord. Can I get an amen? Let's, let's worship.